Greetings, Shmovie fans. This is John, and welcome to another one of our .5 episodes. This is episode 75.5. Full new episodes don't return until next Friday, July 12th, when uh, Ronald, Steve, and I will be together once again to talk about some movie or another, or maybe even both of those movies. Uh, But for now, it's just you and me. And while we're here, I thought I'd give you a little peek behind the curtain and let you see what I usually do when we're about to gear back up after our hiatus. What I do is I check the movie schmovie answering machine. Most people don't know we keep an old-fangled answering machine right here on the recording desk. Um, And we just kind of use it to leave messages to keep tabs uh, when we're not meeting. So, to the machine. You have several messages. What's up, Movie Schmovie? This is Steve. Uh, just checking in after seeing Paul Feig's new film, The Heat. Uh, comedy, buddy cop film, Sandra Bullock, Melissa McCarthy. Uh, actually, some pretty high expectations for this one. And I gotta tell you, I'm a little let down. Uh, a lot of comedy bit players in this movie. Nathan Cordry, Bill Burr, Jane Curtin, uh, Taron Killen. A bunch of people you'll probably see from movies and Saturday Night Live people and whatnot. You know, some standalone fun parts, but I think overall something just felt really out of balance about this movie. I think they kind of took the wheels off on Melissa McCarthy a little too much. While I love her comedy, and I love her in situational, uh, I guess, long-running improv moments, I felt like there was one too many of these 15 minutes into this movie. Um, Crowds seem to really like it. I think the movie will probably do pretty well. Um, But coming up after Bridesmaids, my expectations were a lot higher than the delivery was on this. Uh, so for the heat, I'm gonna go with, uh, you know, I'm gonna wait till this comes on DVD if I were you. What's going on, guys? This is your friendly neighborhood co-host, Ronald. Um, I guess I'm gonna talk about a couple movies that I've seen. Um, the first movie that I saw was Man of Steel, Henry Cavill, I think that's his name, uh, and Amy Adams, as well as Kevin Costner, Overall, a very good cast, and Russell Crowe as Joel. Um, it's just a really good movie. I feel like it was a nice, cool twist on this Superman story. Um, I'd suggest it to everybody if you're not expecting a Dark Knight sort of story. You know, if, if you're not expecting that, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a very solid story, so check it out. Hey, Movie Schmovie. This is John. I just left Man of Steel, and I'm on my way home to you. But for now, I'll just list the pros and cons to keep it brief. Pros. I thought Henry Cavill made a great Superman. His hairy-chestedness is a victory for hairy-chested heroes everywhere. Hans Zimmer's score, particularly at the end of the movie, there's a theme that kicks in that that I have stuck in my mind. Another pro, I think Zack Snyder's visual style uh, is impressive, as always. He may not make the most substantive films, but he definitely knows how to put together a really striking image. Cons, Lawrence Fishburne has a diamond stud earring. Lois Lane says, what if I have to tinkle? I don't know a woman over five who would say, what if I have to tinkle? And if you are a woman and you would say that, you might want to think about your choices. The other con that stands out to me is that Superman destroys half of a city uh, in order to fight Zod. That just feels very unheroic and unsuperman-like. Now, to that point, I don't think it's necessarily wrong that the movie has a different take on Superman. I think of it more in terms of, is it an interesting angle on a familiar story? And in that case, I think it does deliver. And I look forward to the sequel that it sets up. Those are my thoughts. I is what I is, and I'm not changing. 
What's up guys, Steve here again. After seeing uh, the new Gore Verbinski film, The Lone Ranger, I gotta admit, I had no interest in seeing this movie at all. Uh, I can't say that my expectations were met. Maybe exceeded a little bit. Uh, a lot of decent slash good stuff in the beginning and the end of this film. Some of the action's fun, big, loud, kind of like you'd expect from the guys that did some of the Pirates films. Uh, and Johnny Depp. I gotta say though, I'm kind of tired of Johnny Depp. Not a fan anymore. I'm tired of the Jack Sparrow thing and just kind of taking that character and putting him some in some other movie. It's kind of how it felt in this movie, uh, The Lone Ranger. Not to mention it's called The Lone Ranger and it's more about Tonto. Uh, you know, everything's about Johnny Depp. Everything's about Tonto. Uh, you know, Army Hammer as The Lone Ranger is kind of just second fiddle to Johnny Depp the entire movie. Which I guess I have an issue with, but I guess not if you're trying to make a dollar. Uh, which the studio is obviously trying to do. But yeah, I would probably say wait for this movie till it comes to home, DVD, Blu-ray, streaming service. There's a lot of other films in theaters right now that I'd recommend go see. So again, The Lone Ranger, stay away. Just trust me. Please, movie schmovie, pick up if you're there. I forgot one of my cons for Man of Steel, and it's really bothering me. It's ridiculous in the film that Kevin Costner is supposed to be 46 years old when he dies, according to the tombstone that we see, because Kevin Costner's face looks like an old baseball mitt. Even at the youngest in the movie, he looks his age, which is 58. But we're supposed to believe not only did he die at 46 when he looked like a 58-year-old man, but in all the previous scenes where we were seeing a young Clark Kent, that he was supposed to be, like, 30 years old? All they had to do was avoid showing the damn tombstone. What's up, guys? Steve here. Uh, I just checked out Mark Forster's World War Z, uh, the World War Z that got pushed back six months. A lot of production problems. Budget went north of $200 million. Reshot the entire ending. Everything that could have went wrong seems like it went wrong with this movie, except that it ended up being a pretty damn good movie. Uh, I was a big fan of it. Uh, something I definitely would recommend. I'm a big fan of anything that Brad Pitt does to begin with, so I was in from the get-go. But in the end of this film, I walked out thinking that, uh, you know, it delivered in pretty much every way I wanted it to. Not a lot of blood, gore, guts, anything like that in this movie, so don't go in there looking for it. Go in there looking for a, a kind of globe-trotting, thrilling ride, a lot of tension, a lot of suspense, especially the reshot ending I thought worked really well. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to what they do with these uh, films in the future now that they've said they're going to make a sequel and hopefully turn this into the franchise that it was intended to be for Mr. Bradley Pitt. And I will be at every single film that comes out in this series from today forward. Again, World War Z is in theaters now, and uh, this is Steven. I definitely recommend you check it out now. See you guys. The next movie that I saw was uh, The Purge, um, starring Ethan Hawke and... Lena Headey. I thought it was a pretty cool movie. Um, you know, it didn't get a lot of praise by the critics. It has kind of a Japanese premise. Uh, every year, um, there's an event called The Purge. It's a 12-hour period where there's no laws, crimes can be committed, and um, Ethan Hawke plays a gentleman that has a security system uh, business. Where he basically sold it to all of his friends around him and family around him. And I think, you know, uh, once the purge begins, the very fear that he has about, you know, uh, people coming in and hurting him and the very fear that he kind of instills in customers of buy his service kind of comes to a head when he's faced with those things himself. I thought it was a pretty solid movie, very predictable, super predictable. The violence was cool, but it was just, you know, all around a pretty average movie. I'm not mad at you, Kevin Costner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is it. <laughs> Oh my god, I can't. 
Hello again, it's uh, Steve calling in to talk about Despicable Me 2. I want to throw out real quick that I think this movie might be, or might become, the highest grossing film of the summer, or the year. Let's wait and see, but uh, I just have a feeling this movie is going to make a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, not a lot of expectations going into Despicable Me 1. Came out loving the film, saw it probably three times in theaters. This time going into the sequel, very high expectations. And in most cases, they're met. I don't know if this film is as good as the first. It's very close. It's very funny. It's very cute. It's very family-friendly. A lot of fun in-jokes for the adults out there as well. Um, new people involved. Kristen Wiig, Benjamin Bratt letting their voice talents. A lot of people uh, heard about Al Pacino dropping out as the villain about two months ago, maybe. It was kind of interesting to me. I was curious to see how they'd, pan how they'd play that out with Benjamin Bratt coming in so late. But I think he works in every way in, in, in the role of El Macho. But, uh... Love me some minions. The more minions, the better for me. And there are lots of minions in this film. This time, they kind of play into the plot line. Uh, but yeah, just a really cute, really fun family film. I definitely recommend going and check it out in theaters. Uh, Despicable Me too. Definitely worth the money. All right, so we just got out of Despicable Me, part two. Hey, Henry, what did you think of the movie? The movie. Are you talking like a minion now? Was it? Uh, was it as good as the first one, or was it better, or worse, or what? Fun! Maybe this was a one-time deal. Hello, it's Steve again. This time I'm calling in to talk about the Central Park Five documentary from Ken Burns, his daughter Sarah Burns, and her, wife, her husband, David McMahon, based on the novel um, written by Sarah. It's a true story documentary film about the late 80s New York crime case of the Central Park jogger. If you know the story, I mean, I'm not going to go too far into it with this quick capsule, but an absolute must-see documentary feature. I've wanted to see this for a long time now and finally got my hands on it thanks to PBS. Um, a movie that should have been nominated and possibly even won an Academy Award this past year. I don't know how it didn't get nominated. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, a stunning story, absolutely heartbreaking, and just an absolute just head shaker of how the hell did this happen. Uh, as much as people know that I love the movie The Imposter last year and even West of Memphis and the and the and the um, all the documentaries from the Paradise Lost trilogy. This this film is up there with those for me of the past few years of the best documentaries I've seen and a movie that you absolutely have to see. Again, it's called The Central Park Five um, and I think it's available through P PBS and also on digital media right now. Thanks a lot. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Hello, Movie Schmovie. This is John, here to share my brief thoughts on Monsters University, which I just saw with my uh, lovely wife and child. And that was very fitting because it was kind of the definition of a family film. There was a lot of that Pixar cross-generational humor. I did kind of find my mind wandering while I was watching it and, and sort of found myself admiring the textures uh, as much as the story. It's middle-of-the-pack Pixar, which, given that Pixar's made some amazing films, Middle of the pack is not exactly the worst place to be. It's interesting that Pixar would choose to make a prequel at this point, but I think it exists outside of the other movie. It doesn't just exist to set up Monsters Incorporated, which is kind of refreshing. Um, no annoying uh, Billy Crystal and John Goodman duet over the ending credits. So right there, it might be an improvement on the first. Yeah, I would give it uh, three and a half epis. Epi, 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 epi. Now, the last movie that I saw was The East, which I thought was one of my favorites. It was a kind of come out of the nowhere sort of movie. 
Britt Marling wrote the script, uh, not directed by her, but she wrote the script. Um, has a very similar feel to Sound of My Voice, which is basically a situation where a group of uh, two people actually got into a, a cult group and did a report on, you know, how the cult was running from within. This has a similar sort of feel where Britt Marling's character, Sarah, uh, goes into this anarchist group run by Alexander Skarsgård. Um, you know him as Eric from True Blood. He plays a character named Benji. There's a couple people in the group that you may know. Uh, Ellen Page, uh, Toby Kebble um, from Rock and Roller plays Johnny Quid. And it's a solid movie. I think that the premise is really cool. It starts to get very intense towards the end. And she's Sarah's character is kind of conflicted as to where she stands in terms of the revolution or whatever, you know, kind of coming down on these companies. But all around good movie. Check it out. And those are kind of the movies that I've seen. So, uh, bye. What's going on, guys? Steve here. I just watched a film called The First Time for my first time. Um, and yes, I just did that. Uh, this is a movie directed by John Kasdan, a brother of Jake Kasdan, but not a director of anything else that I recognize or that you would probably either. But this film is a rom-com, high school, kind of like a John Hughes movie from the 80s. Uh, tries to be at least, and in most cases it does pretty well. It uh, stars uh, Dylan O'Brien, who a lot of people might recognize from The Internship, which is also in theaters right now, and Britt Robertson, who is in uh, the new television series Under the Dome. Uh, this, is, this is a story about two... Uh, a guy and a girl who basically are going after other people in their lives who are clearly not right for them. And somehow these two cross paths and maybe start to realize that they were who the other was looking for all along. Sounds familiar, right? Well, there's a couple cool takes on it. A lot of sweet revelations and familiar situations that you may have remembered from high school days. Or even from your favorite John Hughes film. But um, either way, this is a pretty good movie. Not great. Uh, but I'd say maybe you know wait for this one to come and uh, watch it at your house. Whether it's streaming or on DVD or Blu-ray. But again, it's called The First Time, and it's directed by John Kazan, and is uh, it's a pretty good flick, especially if you like the high school rom-coms. Again, Steve, take care. Hi, uh, Nikki, this is Mike again. I, I just called because it sounded like your, your machine might have cut me off when I, when I, uh, before I finished leaving my number. Anyway, uh, and, you know, and also, um, sorry to call so late, but you were still at the Dresden when I left, so I knew I'd get your machine. Anyhow, uh, uh, my number is 21. Hey guys, Steve again. This time I'm talking about another documentary film called Only the Young. This is another movie that I really wanted to see in 2012. Um, a documentary that follows basically three teenagers, a day-in-the-life kind of film um, out on the West Coast in Santa Clarita, California. Uh, this is a movie directed by Elizabeth Mims and Jason Tippett, a National Board of Review Top 5 doc of last year. Um, it's just a really kind of cool, it's almost like a rom-com drama as a documentary, it follows these two guys, skateboarders, best friends, and one of the girls that one of them dates, dated, keeps dating. You know, it's it's just typical life as a teenager, but under the microscope of this town that really doesn't have a lot going on it, going on in it, um, besides skateboarding, finding abandoned pools, and uh, just kind of navigating the trials of of a teenage life. Um, really cool story, kind of neatly edited, not not too flashy, pretty straightforward with a with a lot of material that probably isn't super exciting to people that like their documentaries a little more, I guess, engaging and or like controversial. There's nothing like that here. It's just a really nice snapshot of teenage life in America right now. And um, I must see in my book. I'd check it out. I'd check it out as soon as you could. Take care. Why haven't you checked the children? Boy, that was a lot to take in. Hope you enjoyed that. Oh, look who's here. It's Henry. Hey, 
Dad, where's Ronald and Steve? I'm not really sure. Why aren't they here? Yeah, they're supposed to be recording with us. I know. Isn't that strange? I think Steve had to go to the doctor for something. It's like, I think he said he had to get his face cut off and Nicolas Cage's face sewn on in its place. And Ronald, really, he needed him to, like, he needed to stay home because he's sick. Ronald's sick? How do you know that? Did he call you? Yeah. He, um, stayed home all day and he stayed there too long. Pigeons broke through and they threw rocks at him. The pigeons were throwing rocks at Ronald because he was staying home too long? Well, these are strange things. What happened to them? Do you think Ronald and Steve have strange things happening to them because they're just kind of strange guys altogether? Yeah, pretty much. All right. Okay. Now, Monsters University. You want to talk about it? I'd like to talk about Monsters University with somebody. I just saw that movie. Have you seen it? Yep. I was right there. Oh, that was you sitting next to me? Uh-huh. So what did you think of the movie? Well, like, Sully, he wanted to win so bad, he cheated, so he, like, crushed the little beds. Oh, buddy, that might be a spoiler. <laughs> what was your favorite part of the movie? The, um, remember, um, um, Mike, um, helped them Sully catch his pig, but it wasn't really his. Oh, you, when they went to, they, they stole the, the pig, the mascot for the other school, the other monster school. Yeah, that pick was for somebody else. Well, oh, who, who took it, actually? Was it Mike or Sully that took it? Sully. He he stole it. Why did he do that? Oh, because in that one, he was like a robber. Oh, he was a robber? Well, it's kind of like a robber. He just, like, stole the thing. So does that mean Sully's a bad guy if he stole something? No, he... No. No. Oh, so he cheated because he wanted to win... And then earlier in the story, Sully stole a pig from another school. So is Sully a good guy or a bad guy? Good guy. He's a good guy? Why did he do that bad stuff? Why did he steal a pig and why did he uh, try to cheat at a test? Well, he just, he just really wanted a pig. <laughs> he wanted it? Because mm-hmm. he never had a pig. Oh. <laughs> so he decided to steal it. Well, that's not a very good reason, is it? No, if I wanted to pick so bad, um, I wanted to steal somebody else's pig, I would just not steal the pig. Would you save up your money and buy a pig, like a good guy? There's no pigs in stores. <laughs> you don't think they have pigs in stores? No. Well, where do we get pigs then? Mm, at the farm. Can I get one more thing out of you? What? Would you say, as always... As you've, always. We've been over this. Let me finish. Say, as always, you've made our day. As always, you made our day. That's perfect. High five. Bye-bye.